Um, when we talk about the purpose of university, and actually the thing that I was thinking of in here, to go back to my argument, there is a kind of an expertise in the university, uh, that there should be an expertise in the university, that is uh, how to adapt and to deal with the, with the changing world. So it's, instead of having it, living in a world of uh, continuity, uh, stability, it is actually, we accept more the complexity of the world with the unknown variables, and actually the, the imperf, imperf, imperfect world. Uh, that, and for me, that connects with an idea of epistemic fluidity. And that's the case that we have generic knowledge, uh, generic knowing, and we have contextual knowledge. And how are we connect those elements to it? We prefer so much to have objective, uh, generic knowledge, and we see more and more that knowledge in itself has a contextual com component and it's more and more gets this contextual component is going to the surface so how are we dealing with it how do we make a decision when when a generic element has to be uh, contextualized from where is this crossroad also with sometimes you prefer a standardization but when is it useful and when not so when what are the boundaries of what we think so i think that the university is actually the house of learning or challenging is a place to meet where you challenge and where in an argumentation you manage to go with there's also something between uh building a dreaming castle because that's sometimes necessary and at the same time also being very realistic okay what is what's what's the purpose why because that's also that's this battle for attention and where are we going to use our time for yeah uh, I think there's something that you were talking about there that I just wanted to circle back to, and it's this difference between information and knowledge. Um, and I think a lot of people confuse the two. They think of information as knowledge. So if I if I have knowledge in my head, which uh, you know you've said a few times, it's contextual, it's specific to me. The way that I've built that knowledge structure in my mind is different from the way that you've built your knowledge structures. And so even when I take that knowledge and I write it out, it it in in my mind, in my understanding, it stops being knowledge and starts being information. So as soon as I write it out, it's now information. When you read that information, you incorporate it into your knowledge structure. There's a conversion that's happening, that's taking yeah. place. And I'm not sure that everyone understands that, like that when you and I read the same passage, the same text, we see the same picture, watch the same video, we've received the same information, but we've received, we've created different knowledge. And and that kind of starts kind of moving, moving us into this conversation around digital health, digital health professions education, maybe. I, I like to think about how that how the the movements of information in these network structures for you know online learning or maybe telehealth uh, you know as we moving towards more distributed health systems maybe is another way of thinking about it like how do we best set up our learning environments to take advantage of the fact that we can move information around at a marginal cost of effectively zero um but what is the impact of that on the way that students build their own knowledge structures. And are we even aware of that? Like I know that in our context in, in physiotherapy education, maybe this isn't true, but generalizing, it feels like we believe that when we've given the lecture, we've given the students the knowledge, but what we've actually done is given them the information. They don't always know how to 
take that information and integrate it into their own knowledge structures. And so what are the ways that we can change education to better support that? And you can swap out students with patients. So we give patients information. We think that we've given them answers, but we've just given them information. They need to contextualize that information, build it into their own knowledge structures. And that then we start talking about sense making, meaning making, um, those kinds of things. So for me, meaning making is just another kind of knowledge construction that's personal to you. Um, so I, th those are just there's a there's a lot that you were talking about there, and I just there was something on the tip of my tongue that I just wanted to get out there. This is interesting what you said because I I'm completely agreeing here with information is not knowledge. So this this is the the movement of information is actually what's happening here. Um, and but at the same time, what you talk about, I, I would, I don't know the theoretical base, but it sounds like an interactive model. That means that the moment you, you you bounce information up and down to people, people interact with this information, and so and it's changed and it does something. But it's also depending on the reference base that people are working with, the value system, the context they are in, the probably their minds, their mood state. So everything together may does something. At the same time, in in education, I think that uh, the banking model, as Freire has posted a long time ago, is still very present, more present than we sometimes expect. Uh, and that's actually uh, it's it's about the the the, the crediting of information is being put out. Is it still there? And if yes, then it's okay. That's learning, and otherwise, it's not learning. So, so here, there's also something. What is learning? What is development? What is coming how are we moving that because the, what you say when people are knowledgeable they have the ability to use the information that they perceive into the environment to make uh, useful actions and i don't even know if decisions are at place because sometimes it's an action and not a decision sometimes it's a decision a decision is a part of an action because otherwise it gets so cognitive yeah and i, I think this yeah no no carry on no, and I think that that makes sense in meaning making uh, and it connects for me a little bit why I got so interested in the model of uh, mind lines from uh, Gabby and LeMay, because actually it is a kind of a mind line stuff. You get this information in, and then in your mind line, what are you going to do with it? Which is, they call that uh, contextual adroitness. So the moment that you, for example, put a doctor, which is uh, used to work in Lincoln, England, and you place the same doctor now in Gambia, that doesn't mean that he's effective. Although he has the, the right knowledge concerning medicine, he doesn't understand anything. He doesn't have the network. So the effectivity goes quite huge down. And uh, yeah, that's that's a complicated factor that we don't always see. Yeah. You said something at the beginning about an interactive model. And yeah. I think of this as a complex adaptive system. And so when... It, and and this to me is where learning and teaching really starts getting interesting is that in an ideal situation i have knowledge that i've constructed in my mind and what i want to try and do is help students build not even similar knowledge structures i don't want them to be like me but i want to help them build their own knowledge structures that allow them to be effective in their contexts wherever that may be so when i give them information they take that information and they start integrating that into their knowledge frameworks that they have and every student even though i say the same words and every student hears the same words every student builds a different knowledge structure based on their personal experience their history 
their kind of context. So everyone's knowledge structure looks different. But then what's fascinating to me is when we have that interaction and the students feed back to me in a way that adapts my knowledge structures. And so we, we have this complex adaptive system where information is being passed between all these different parties and knowledge structures are being changed in the minds of every person. And, and for me, that is when learning is at its most powerful and most effective. And obviously, we, I think we, you know, we all agree that the, that the banking model, merely moving information around is not teaching, telling is not teaching. We've, you know, we've been saying that for a long time. And yet we still go into classrooms and we tell students, we tell them the facts. And you were talking earlier about this idea of perfect, um, perfect knowledge. And, you know, it's this idea that if I give you the answers, you just have to remember enough of the answers and reproduce it back to me. But like fundamentally that it has to be broken because what I've given you are my answers. They're, yeah. they're answers to problems in my context from my knowledge framework. We really need to try and get to a scenario where our assessments take, they acknowledge the fact that your knowledge structures are different. And so even though you may be able to give me the information back, like you were saying about that doctor, that doctor can pass all the assessment tasks, they can pass all the tests, and they can still be ineffective um, just yeah. because they're in a different context. Can we have assessment tasks? And and this, I mean, I, I don't want to take the information, I don't want to take the conversation to artificial intelligence, but this is where I think AI is leading us to, where your assessment in order to become a physiotherapist is different to my assessment where I need to become a physiotherapist. We write different assessments, we complete different assessment tasks, and yet we both meet the learning outcomes in a way that satisfies our regulatory bodies. We are so far away from thinking in that way of real personal learning and personal assessments. And 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 for me, that I think is is the most exciting part of it, where there's all this. I think you said to me a long time ago, you said, relax, it's only chaos. And like to me, that is the most um, uh, like not thrilling. That's not the right word, but the not, and, uh, I want to say not a, a nutritious environment, but it's the most fulfilling kind of environment where it is chaos. And there's so much going on. There's so many variables. We can't track all of it. But that's not the point. The point isn't that we can perfectly describe everything that's going on because we have to acknowledge that we cannot describe everything that's going on. And this, I like what you say, also this com complex adaptive system and also the, the, the element of chaos because here we move uh, this, the connection with the kind of a chaos theory. Uh, this, uh, we are amidst chaos or uh, also connecting to Camus from, from my part, uh, uh, the, the world in itself has no meaning and we try to provide meaning to the world so this is something this is the, our paradox where we constantly live in so the moment that we live in something which it's up to us to give meaning and at the same time uh, that's because we want to give meaning it's our intention which is not perfectly there but we can provide meaning to a lot of things at least as long as we interact so we have in this complex adaptive system and that's also what i like what you said it, it's complex, it's adaptive, just based on what we get, we change. So nothing is neutral in itself. So every interaction in itself has a kind of a, a transitional power in itself. So there's an emergence, I, I, I believe in here. Um, it, it's about the assessment and the effectivity, but here is the other part where I've been um, being so interested now in ecology or sustainability, ecology, 
uh, I move backwards to the to the articles of the writing of Gibson concerning uh, ecological uh, psychology, in which what he states is actually is that the uh, instead of taking an individual as, as itself in a vacuum, there's uh, an intertwined connection between the individual and the environment. You can't separate them. In itself is actually what you say here as well, because this you're always into the environment in other people with other people, so you're not individualized. Also, when we have um, AI, there's a new element or as a variable, which is part of our lives. So like the physical, the social environment, have we also our virtual or artificial world. We have more variables that we, we connect with. And at the same time, we also have to dare to be dependent upon because that's also something what I hear so because that was the other part in this one. And I, I wanted to, pick, to talk also with you about it. We talk so much about interdisciplinary work or collaborative work. And at the same time, I see individualization. And then I think that the when we talk about collaborative work or interdisciplinary, that means that you have to put a, a bit of your autonomy away and dare to be dependent upon the other, which uh, is completely the opposite of what people mostly think. And also dependent on an AI system, it's not like it's, uh, that dependence is not like it's yes or no, because I think it's a spectrum, but that you acknowledge that there's, there's, uh, there's value into it and it brings you, and it's an interactive element like you have with people, with the environment, also with a rock or a pencil, you have an interaction. Yeah, and, it's, and I, uh, you you change. Yes, I Go was ahead. just going to say I, I like the idea you kind of touched on it there of being open to being changed. And there, there's a you know, when, when we talk about IPE, we think of and, and maybe I'm generalizing here, but we, in my from my perspective, we tend to think that we are offering something from ourselves into this kind of collaborative space. So each profession is adding their perspective into the space. What we don't often talk about is what information is coming back to us and are we open to being changed by the interaction? And so that's something I've never seen in an IPE program where we're all working together, we're all giving, we're all offering something, but there's no conversation about the possibility or the potential for information coming back to you and changing your identity. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to know if we work in truly collaborative ways with other professions, do we become less of our own profession? Like in, in my perspective, if we did it right, we would become less. I would be less of a physiotherapist because I'm being influenced by the OT, the social worker, the doctor, the nurse. They're, my identity, it doesn't become fractured. It almost becomes flattened out um, where there's instead of a, a peak of physiotherapy and all the other professions are small relative to me, there's an evening out where my knowledge, my understanding, my thinking is influenced by all those other professions so that their role in my professional context actually gets increased, it gets elevated. And so the dominance of the physiotherapy part of it gets lessened. And, and I think that like, when you think in terms of complex systems and trying to not trying to find equilibrium, but moving towards an equilibrium, I don't th I'm not saying that that's ideal or that's always going to happen, but it's an interesting way for me to think about interacting with other people. Um, you know, am I open enough to being changed through the interaction? Um, and if I'm not open to being changed, then is it really a collaboration? Do we really have 
something meaningful happening here? This, this brings something which is really interesting, open to being changed, because I think that um, what are the, the, the uh, when I just reflect back, what are the most interesting conversations with people that you talk about is the ones you, you go in with an open mind because you, you uh, because it, it's not like a battle who is the best because the moment you also have this battling, but that's a different thing. This is not battling. This is kind of putting the things on the table, getting back, understanding and open to being changed sometimes ha happens with uh, um, one of my colleagues, he called it radical interprofessional collaboration. So what I noticed the moment I start collaborating with OT, uh, this kind of is this interprofessional? Because actually, when I look at it from a broader perspective, we are the same. It is actually the same. So it's no, there's actually no difference from a broader sense. It's only a difference because we, we focus so much on a difference which is hardly there. Also, when I we, we talk now here, uh, digital health will be a new topic at the university. We talked about it before. So uh, beginning of the week, I talked with uh, one of the professors in data science. So he has got now the, uh, he has to put it forward. And, and he, he also told me it was sometimes hard to talk with the health professions for them because they all, all of them, they, they feel so special. And he said, for me, <laughs> They're kind of the same. And then I think it, that makes sense because the whole faculty of health and social work for him is kind of, is health and social work. They do exactly the same things and they all think that they can't collaborate with each other because they are so special and so different. And he doesn't see the difference. And then I think, I think that he's right. But that means I have to be open to change that I think is, there is hardly any difference. So it's, it's on a detail. So we constantly move to the detail where we have to, we have to move the other way around. So instead of zooming in, we have to zoom out also. We have to have this ability to open to change and then to think about different ways. And that was the thing I wrote it down here. Um, you had a, po a podcast when you were in Australia with uh, uh, Baradel uh, concerning ways of thinking, thinking and practicing. And that was something that and also it's reading her articles and I've been thinking and reading and that kind of moved through my mind that kind of changed quite a lot. So the moment that we describe a profession, we describe it in something which is clear, detailistic, way too much zoomed in. But the moment we talk about that zooming, zooming more out, what's the ways of thinking and practicing what you can do in different professions, because it's physiotherapy, we have a, our own way of dealing with things, which is quite when I go and I see throughout the world, most of the physiotherapists, they resemble a little bit of each other. And that's not in knowledge, that's in presenting and thing, doing these things. And nurses, doctors, it's, well, you see the, the same thing, engineers, uh, chemists. I think there's a more interesting way, but that means also that we have to, to create a kind of now new language, which constantly also has to be updated to understand what are we actually doing? Because we, we, we write something, what we do is not what we do. So we, so we do something else, which is also makes it much richer. Go back to your story that you say, from the moment we start collaborating, we don't, uh, we flatten out in one way, but at the same time, we show more the, the, the added value in relation to each other, because we are a complex system. I think that we, the moment we resemble ourselves more as ants, as an ant network, which have different tasks and collaborate instead of individuals who try to, uh, um, to climb on 
on the help or on the on the parasite of others. So it's a symbiotic system. But how do we? Uh, that's something new to to discover with each other because I think the time is there. Yeah, I think what you've what you've I don't know as as you were talking, it was reminding me a little bit about what Dave Nichols was talking about in one of his books. Um, a, a vernacular physiotherapy, uh, a kind of a, a localized, contextually meaningful practice. Um, and so you can't be, we can't talk about, and, and I, I don't want to put words into his mouth, I may be misinterpreting, but you can't talk about a physiotherapist because there are lots of different kinds of physiotherapies. Um, and so each one would be specific to a to a context. And so you wouldn't be able to, like you were saying, you could take me and put me into a hospital anywhere in the world. And when I sit down with a patient, you know, you know language differences and cultural differences, you know, all of those things are, are included. But essentially, I would feel like I know what to do. Like, you know, back pain, right. I, I kind of know how to move forward with, with this conversation. I know what the interaction looks like. And what Dave is, I think, trying to say is that you don't. Um, like all, all of the, the context, the culture, the meaning, the language, the geography, all of these things actually make that interaction meaningfully different in a way that we can't talk about the the physiotherapist i think he differentiates between physiotherapy and physiotherapies or or, or something or the physical therapy which is like the practice and then there's the there's i don't know something else i'm i'm kind of butchering yeah. uh, dave's very articulate and eloquent way of explaining this but uh, the one thing that sticks out to me was this vernacular this kind of common language um or, or common practice uh, and and it's quite specific and 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 localized i think um i need to i need to go back to it um but that's what i was reminded of when when you were talking about uh yes and i think that you're completely right because i read this also and i've been at uh well there's a between others a project of philip philip has been working on a project uh concerning this is physiotherapy and i think that he even uh, uh brought bought the name so he's He's working on a project together with some German colleagues that this is physiotherapy in which they show the complete diversity and that this one side fits all doesn't exist. So that you have this physiotherapist in the most extreme ways that people are still physiotherapists. So this idea of this one side clinician. So it is in the same uh, argument that you build up what Dave came with. So I love that. I think it's interesting. The other part is quite interesting also as the example that you gave, because the, the moment that you or I will be placed in an, in a hospital in, um, uh, let's say, Iraq or something, or Gaza right now, of course, we can, we understand the, the medical or the biological problem in itself, but the contextual, the environmental and the social elements and also the way forward, there we, we hit directly the boundaries because we don't understand the system. We don't understand where is the opportunity for adaptive we understand it from the biological entity but all the other parts are missing directly yeah. even the interaction and the person behind it yeah i agree completely and so to kind of bring it back to the the digital health um uh, program yeah. like some of the some of the ways that we some of the ways that i think about digital health um using digital technologies in practice from our conversation, I wonder if there's a disconnect there. I wonder if it's even because the, the digital tools require some kind of in, the, in their current form, I think they are reductive in forcing a type of practice 
onto the people who use those tools. So uh, I'm, this is the first time I'm articulating this now. I've not thought about this before, but if if we were to use technology in practice, I don't think that those technologies are set up in such a way as to enable the kinds of practice that we've been talking about so far. So unique knowledge structures, um, contextually relevant practice that is different, you know, widely, massively, significantly different to the point where your practice may even be ineffective in different contexts. I think that technology assumes that physiotherapy is physiotherapy, no matter where you do it. And so the technologies that we use in practice are going to force us into a reductive, kind of lesser, um, uh, standardized version of practice. It's going to narrow our scope for diversity and for inclusivity. And, and I'm, I'm just thinking now, I tend to think about the advantages of technology all the time. And now I'm after our conversation, I'm wondering if the technology in this context is a disadvantage because it's not going to depend. Maybe it maybe a lot depends on how you set it up, but I don't see examples of tools that enable the diversity of practice because the way that software needs to be developed is it needs to be like you need a category like this patient must fit into a box and it's very difficult to write out in in a narrative or prose to write out the box that this patient fits into um, when you have like a million boxes like for all the different kinds of patients that we might want to see. We tend to say low back pain. That's the box that this patient fits into. And maybe with experience, we can start, you know, there are sub boxes, like there, there are other things that we can tick that might show that like there's, there's variation or granularity in the type of box that this patient fits into. Um, but then, and then it becomes about a mapping exercise. What are the interventions that we can map onto the boxes that this patient has has fit into? And I worry a little bit that technology that narrows our focus and narrows our perspective um, is going to not allow the kind of flourishing that we've talked about. I think with like in a complex adaptive system, I think of that as a as a situation where we have like you know let a thousand flowers bloom. We've got many 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 different possible outcomes when we're in a classroom with a group of students. There's many opportunities for us all to change and to, to move somewhere different and more exciting and more, um, uh, I keep thinking back like to, to, to diet, something more nutritious. Um, but is software going to enable that or is software going to disable that and, and limit our ability to do that kind of thing in the context of digital health? I feel like I rambled a little bit there, but no. I wonder if there's something there to think about. Yeah, so actually, but to just just to, to summarize, because I have been talking, now you say, to, what you say is in the current form, it's a reductive impact. So we go more to standardization. It's this boxing. So, so if the assumption is physiotherapy is physiotherapy and you can predict the future so if there's constantly causal relationships because that's that's the way that we move forward and we see that already from the time of all our all the rcts and uh meta-analysis so this kinds of this positivistic uh, objectifiable knowledge which is true for everything is is quite high which probably um also from an, uh, a relativist perspective, some elements, it is true. 
though for some things it's it, it, there's some contextual elements that makes it difficult to move into with you uh, this reduction is what i see in the current practice what we see of all the applications that are present and this is something based on the uh, conversation i had with uh ingvelano ingve is um, uh, it's not ingve from oslo ingve is a professor of data science here We've been working on a project for digital health and I start meeting him. What I found found was interesting the moment that we start talking, he was way more philosophical than I expected. So actually he constantly was uh, quite quickly, he moved into kind of an uh, ontological epistemological element concerning knowledge, what you probably know from data science. They, okay, what is actually, what can we know of the world? How do we look upon the world? Because that kind of starts with where we are. Also, what he says that all the healthcare professionals, his perspective, they were all so special and they want something. And the data people, mostly, they they provide what the, the health professions want. Health professions in itself, I think, are quite much um, the last year, based on the, the, the evidence-based practice movement, they really moved in this uh, objectifiable, uh, positivistic, uh, policy-driven way of thinking. So that also the data elements can move in the same way. Um, now, I, that, that's gone. So I agree with your story. At the other hand, because I'm also like uh, uh, not being a positivistic element, but positive or optimistic towards the world and also for technology. When I start reading more and more about uh, large language models, is that ChatGPT 3.3, they had, it was multidimensional on 16,000 16, different dimensions they could put things together and with four it's even larger so that's on a scale that we can never imagine so this whole idea of boxing and mapping what we do is actually not is no longer necessary because we have now a tool who can deal with this complex environment on a way on a scale that we have never been uh, actually doing before the only question is how can we connect these different elements together so that means that we have to find a, a different way in that now being said that one so we said at hvl we're going to we have to start working on uh, digital health on different ways and uh and ingo was also very clear that the moment we start doing also something at, at hvl the moment that we put old wine and new cask uh, and new boxes that's not happening because that's happening already so much so you have to go something new so maybe it is about health language uh uh, complexing structures, uh, contextuality. So finding a new, more um, philosophical way of thinking of dealing with evidence, because I think that personalized evidence or social uh, constructive evidence, which is more or uh, like health equity, inclusivity, diversity, those are elements which are get more uh, appropriate so that you can connect it. So that was something that we thought about, thought about that's um, instead of going directly even okay this is what is needing so that's what we're building because that's mostly what is done but what we probably what i hear you say with other words that sometimes there are solutions based on problems that we actually don't have that's the problem that we think we have so we ask for a solution or something which kind of bring us further in the problem and doesn't give any way out of so we have to zooming out more to understand how do we actually look upon it what kind of Causational elements, do we think, if it's it's in a context, how can we con put contextuality? And I believe, and this is kind of the last example, I was asked to provide an, um, 
a keynote lecture in India, which I've done online because I didn't manage to go there. So I asked uh, um, ChatGPT, so I started working together from a cultural sensitive perspective, because I can only bring a European perspective to the place from what are the things that we, how can we tweak it more to Southern India, to Chennai region, what is known about Chennai? And the moment you 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 put the prompts at first that you, you, you give him this anthropological perspective from that sense and also the cultural perspective, you get more elements which are connecting from where are the points that you can connect more. So it, I think that actually it provided me a much stronger case than when I just had done this uh, Dutch or Norwegian perspective. Yeah, I mean, I've got no doubt uh, that uh, interacting with language models and, and working with them as collaborative partners, I think, has been enormously beneficial for me just in opening up different ways of thinking. And like the, the prompt that I probably use most often is that like I, I say to it, I'm thinking of this, tell me why I'm wrong. Like tell me all the ways that this doesn't work, that this doesn't make sense. Um, and then in other contexts, you know, because things make perfect sense to me. It's impossible for me to get outside of my head and to not think like me. I can't think like me, but language models are this weird alien an intelligence, I guess I would call it that, but if not an intelligence, at least an alien expert who can look at exactly what I'm doing and saying from a perspective that doesn't come from inside my head. I can't get outside of my head. As much as we like to talk about cultural competence, you cannot get out of your head. It's impossible for you not to think like Joost. Um, and so even when we bring in all this other cultural stuff and sensitivity and all this stuff, you still integrate that into a unique knowledge structure that's based on you and your history and your background and experience. You cannot be anything other than Joost. Um, and the same for me. And what yeah. language models help me to do is they help me to, even if I can't think outside of my head, they think outside of my head for me. And they tell me all the ways that that I could be wrong. And I don't think that we, um, that we really understand like the, the, the profound implications of having a, a an assistant that can challenge your thinking in ways that can be more productive and fruitful. The, the other thing that I, I wanted to talk about is that you mentioned language models as a way of trying to understand some of the complexity and the variation and the the the, the I guess the the many interacting variables of a more qualitative experience of healthcare. Um, I'm, I'm again not not really articulating it well, but we've tended to collect data, um, and 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 let's call it quantitative data from our patients, range of motion, visual analog scale, all these things where we measure things and convert them into numbers. I wonder if language models in healthcare are going to give us the ability to elevate the value of the qualitative and subjective patient experience where it becomes part of that decision-making process. I know we, we we talk about, you know, this is why we have a subject of history from a patient where they talk about their subjective experience, but in practice, how much of that actually gets integrated into the relationship that we have with the patient. We tend to be driven by improvement in the form of numbers that demonstrate those improvements. What if language models allow us to make sense of the enormous complexity of the patient's life history and we have that kind of like in my mind elevated so that it is as important or maybe likely to be more important than the numbers that that we can potentially gather. And um, that's not something that 
I've thought about before. Um, but imagine a language model that's just running in the background, constantly recording everything that you're talking about with the patient. It is aware of, you know, the patient's AI um, is aware of what data, personal data can be shared with the hospital's AI. And so the patient's AI can make decisions based on a, an agreement or a contract that it has with the patient. And the patient's AI can say to the hospital AI, here is everything that the that you know the, the the patient has agreed to share with you, and all of that information can then be integrated into a, a model that the physiotherapist can then interact with to better understand the the patient. And it, again, I'm like I'm just kind of ad libbing this. I'm not really I haven't thought about this before, but I wonder if digital health is going to have more of that kind of a component where we really are going to be. Like I've been thinking of digital health in the context of technologies that are instrumental. They allow me to connect with the patient remotely, um, for example. So we can have video chat. Um, we've got different methods of capturing information when we when we talk to patients. But maybe digital health is really going to be more about having a different form of collaborator. Um, you know, one of one of which will come from the patient, one of which will come from the hospital. I might have a professional AI that that works with me. So what does the interaction of me, my physiotherapy AI, the hospital's AI, the university's AI, the patient's AI, the patient, what does that interaction start to look like? We talked about um, complex adaptive systems earlier. Like how much complexity is there going to be in that interaction where we we even have non-human agents that are interacting, changing the humans because the information is being passed back and forth. So each of us is changed by the interaction. Um, I, I wonder if that's a, a conversation worth having with the participants in, in the workshop at some point. You you challenged me quite a bit here, and I thought uh, it it, uh, uh, it connects. Maybe what you said. A lot of the things are technology driven. Yes, yeah, so it helps me, us to be remote. We don't have to be in the same place at the same time. What kind of divides me with the, the the whole element of dimensions? So we have now a dimension of time and space, and actually by first bit, what you said is technology brings us that we have. A different dimension which we can operate in. When I re-articulate what you say is actually that at the same time the amount of information that we currently use to make our decisions are based on just a, a limited number of dimensions where we can find. At the same time we are kind of, uh, um, uh, how can I say it, we are focused upon something like validity, uh, reliability, we have some rigor standards which has objectifiable and that kind of elements. Where can we trust upon in order to make the best decision? But at the same time, what if now we have uh, uh, an almost an, in, uh, uh, an unfinished, no, an um, uh, uh, unlimited amount of, of dimensions at our proposal, so we can have the amount of uh, dimensions we can search in for information, we can work for, is uh, almost unlimited, at least for our mind is unlimited. That's something we have never done before. That means also that the whole, our whole idea of um, uh, measurable, observable, but it's like you said, when we had this measurable with range of motion, because that was the information that we would, uh, we were able to manage uh, in time, in a place. 
we didn't even know if that was actually useful information, but it was the only thing that we got. So we started moving from that one. If we have now so much extremely more information, we have to redefine ourselves from what kind of information is useful. And is also at the same time, is there a way of thinking about validity and um, uh, reliability? Is that, is, are those the elements from our ontological work or is it more in credibility and trustworthiness? And do we dare to trust what kind of information is there? And what is what are the risks of not doing it? Because that's the other way around. Because I would say that at the moment, the way of our current practice has an, an extreme amount of risks in it. And it might be, as you say, that we, we, we move into this uh, uh, in other dimensions, that the dimensions go from, from practice to also to information gathering and also to putting those information together. And when you start talking about this uh, narrative data, I think that that is possible to bring it way more in the moment we go away from it has to be measurable because the measurability, what I see in physiotherapy, is also a range of motion. Then we can go in grades. Then we say, oh, it's a flexion of uh, 32 grade with an error of a measurement error is so huge that we can think of, okay, is this really the thing that we should discuss? Because uh, it's humanistic in nature. And that's kind of an element. Uh, what kind of decisions are based on what kind of information and what kind of information is available or might be available? And what I like what you say, the different AI systems who talk to each other, who combine information, and of course, there's a different way of looking at privacy. And it's also, but at the same time, I think that this really brings on further. Because, yeah, and now, now I had to go back. One element I've been, um, uh, I get introduced with this work of Han, a German-Korean uh, philosopher. So pff, I, I can't know his Bang Han, I, I will find out afterwards. He said that uh, in the current world, we're getting more and more driven to narcissism. Uh, so it's me, myself and I is the authenticity in itself is a narcissistic trap. And we also get all the algorithms. We get more of the same and we, we prefer to have more of the same information around us. So it kind of fosters our narcissism. It's kind of the opposite of what you said from uh, being, op being open to change and challenge me. Uh, I think I think that uh, in what he called it the church of Facebook uh, is that you get this information kind of which fits your ideas brings a different way of thinking. Uh, what we challenge here is that we say, uh, of course, the algorithm at the current time brings in that case, but it doesn't mean that the other thing is not possible. Actually, the other thing is possible that opening to change, uh, that your question to AR, what you ask here in language models, asking, challenge me. So this is what I think, challenge me. Just keep on challenging me. Also like when we go back to the beginning of our conversation, is a university in itself not the place to be challenged? Is that not where, the only thing is to what level is the challenge uh, constructive and on what level will challenge be uh, destructive? So that's, that's, but even there, that means that again, multi-dimensions. So, yeah, so I think that looking upon how do we look upon data and how, what do we use to make decisions and what framework do we use to make decisions? There's a lot of things getting here together. When we talk about a digital health platform, what you say, for example, for a dip, I think this uh, dimensionality 
brings actually a case and here is also kind of navigational agency are we this consumers and reactive to what is given or are we taking the lead and you've been talking that before that the we can of course uh we can be say no i'm just a healthcare professional so the ai and everything is behind is uh about not about me so i just wait what comes but it means that we're in a reactive space and i think that we have to show this navigational agency um Rutger Klaas talked about it in, in a way of a, a practice theory that instead of that having the agency to do something and navigational agency as a way that you can really change the way that you look upon things and, and the way that things are working. And that's also this kind of this freedom coefficient. How much room do you think for yourself that you, you can alter the way that you think do? I really like that the the idea that you introduced that idea of dimensionality and how the the way that we tend to think about technology is in a time and space um and so we can we can play around with time and space like we don't have to be in the same space we've got asynchronous communication we don't have to be in the same time but there now are other dimensions that we can include in that and and I I really like the idea of that kind of narrative history that complexity all of that now being integrated and moving away from this obsession with measurement, um, which I feel like has driven so much of practice. And if if we're going to look at technology in practice, either either in physiotherapy education or in physiotherapy practice, the use of technology is often kind of also being reduced to what can be captured, what what can be measured. And what what I really like about that idea that you suggested is that there are now other dimensions of the relationship and the interaction that we can, if not capture, um, incorporate and integrate into our conversation, into our decision-making, into our thinking, um, where we can move away from the idea that measurement matters. Um, and and I, I really like that idea. Um, but I've, I've run out of time. Um, and yeah. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to go. Uh, and we'll I have another chance. A thousand ideas, but we will we, we will continue in this conversation um, afterwards again. Perfect. Exactly. Cool. All right. Thanks, Just Keep up. Okay. Well. You you too. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye.